So this morning, as I was, as I was reflecting even this morning over this passage, um, you know, we are not suffering. <laughs> there are churches out there that are actually trying to say that um, that they are under persecution to not be able to worship as they want when they want, um, which is absurd. <laughs> that is not persecution. Um, we. Uh, you know, we, we live in a very privileged time in history, comparatively, to what others have experienced. And as difficult um, and unnerving as this pandemic is, there's no way we can compare this to what the early church was facing. Especially when you consider later in the first in the, in the later of the first century, the last half of the first century, what they were going through. You know, you have these, these emperors, you have Nero, um, who near the end of his reign was just really losing it and um, um, was doing horrible things like dousing Christians with basically lighter fluid and setting them on fire. You have uh, Domitian, who came into power about 15 years after Nero, who was set on being worshipped as a god. He was, he was committed to that. And then passed a, a rule and edict that anyone who didn't recognize him as a god uh, would die and face persecution. And that's what the church went through. Um, and then even past that, it gets worse and worse. I mean, as we look at history, it gets worse and worse for, for Christians. Um, and this letter is written in this era. We don't know exactly when it was written. There are plenty that want to say that Peter wrote it before he, uh, he was, uh, was crucified in the, in the 60s AD. And then others say it was a disciple of, of Peter who penned his name and communicated the things that he was taught by Peter to the churches later in the first half of the, in the second half of the first century. All that being said, the, the thing that we can relate to with the early church is living in a lot and in intense pressure, in a pressure cooker. Like, we are not facing persecution today, yet we are living with a lot of pressure. A lot of decisions that we're having to make that we didn't have to make before. Yesterday, uh, so something we've noticed with excuse me with uh with Charlotte our our oldest is just she's not getting enough time with mom and dad so we did a Charlotte day the truth of the matter is every day is this child's day but we really wanted to you know like hey here's the day for you so we we took her out and um she wanted to have a fancy and handsome day a fancy and handsome day so we went we tried to go to a fancy restaurant we all got dressed up um, and went to a fancy restaurant. But then we decided to really cut loose and for dessert go get um, Jerry Snow Cone. Now, if you are new to Memphis and listening in, or if you're not from Memphis and listening in, then that won't mean a lot to you. But if you're, if you're in Memphis, you know that Jerry Snow Cone, a Snow Cone Supreme, man, like Snow Cone with this amazing soft serve ice cream in the middle of it 
Um, personally, I like to get wedding cake and snow cream. Just pack that in there. And I only do this about once every few years <laughs> because I feel really bad the rest of the day, which I felt pretty bad the rest of the day yesterday. All that said, we go to Jerry's and, you know, usually there's a line and we were expecting that. But as we were standing in line, I was, I was with Charlotte, you know, there were others, like they tried to put distancing, like here's a cone, here's a cone, here's a cone, here's a line, here's a line, and everybody kind of keep their space. And what you would hope is in this pandemic, people would do that. But the truth of the matter is people don't want to do that. So there are people wanting to stand close, people not wearing masks, a lot of people not wearing masks. And here's me and, and my daughter wearing a mask, standing in line, and I'm, I'm doing what I do. I'm giving people the, the stink eye, you know, like, and I have this like big black mask on. And I'm just like looking people up and down when they come too close. And I eventually had to turn to this group of kids behind me and say, I need you to step back. <laughs> you know, and I really, it wasn't my first thing I wanted to do. And if you know me, that may surprise you because you probably know that I like confrontation. But I really, I'm really trying to change. And so I, I really didn't want to confront these kids, uh, which I knew I'd scare them when I would do it uh, because I had a black mask on and my sunglasses and... Uh, anyway, all that said, I had to say, like, hey, step back, please. Can you give some more space? And I was standing there feeling this anxiety come up in me, right? Like this, this kind of boiling. And I'm like, this is not the norm. <laughs> like this is not how it was at Jerry Snowcone last year when I went or the year before when I went or whenever I go places. And you have to now have social distancing and like, oh, we keep in six feet. And do you have a mask on? No, you don't have a mask on? Oh, you don't take this as seriously as I do. Oh, maybe you're the reason why there's a spike now in Memphis in the last two weeks. Or maybe I'm taking it seriously enough. Maybe I need to do more. Uh, another situation is, uh, you know, Charlotte doesn't get to play with the kids as much. And I remember one day I was in the house and she was on the front porch and she ran inside and said, Hey, Daddy, my, my friend's here. And I go to the front porch and there's this girl, this little girl about her age on the front porch sitting on our swing. And I almost have an anxiety attack. Uh, and and her, her guardian was standing nearby and because uh, I think it was her mother's boyfriend or something. And I had to like be, okay, Charlotte, let's put your mask on. <laughs> Y'all keep your space. And all of that is just not what we're used to. And we're all dealing with these pressures of having to figure out, okay, now, how do we deal with this? What does this look like? What's the right decision? And the thing that we can relate to, even if we can't relate to the persecution of the church, is just the fact that we are in survival mode right now. We're in survival mode. And when we're in survival mode, um, the brain works overtime to, to try to figure out what to do. And what we tend to do is, like, right, fight, flight, or freeze. Like, we either want to get away from it, we either want to punch it in the face, or we just freeze up and take whatever comes our way. And, um, and so what I, I kind of just want to lay the groundwork with and wallpaper in the room is the fact that we are in a lot of pressure right now. And, I, and with that said, there are ways that we can respond that are helpful and ways that we can respond that are toxic, that are unhelpful in how we deal with these times. Because, friends, the, the truth of the matter is we as a church don't have any plans to start meeting in person anytime soon. You know, when we try to break it all down, how that could look and work, there's really no way to do it and, and with kids and space. And they're even saying, like, if you come together, don't sing because that's one of the big ways that this 
viruses is transmitted. Um, so just think about having a worship space where we're not singing, where there's no CCK, and we have to sit six feet apart from each other and make sure that kids aren't interacting in ways that we don't want them to. Like you're kind of going like, man, it's just more stress. So it makes more sense for us to stay on a screen and keep communicating. And yet, that is difficult because we're lonely. And then there's more anxiety built up when we're not used to being around people and then we get out near people and is it safe or not. And so we have all these decisions now that especially if you're single or um, um, living on your own for whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of decisions you're having to make almost in a vacuum it feels like. And, it, and what we're finding is there aren't a lot of good decisions that we're making. That's what we're seeing more and more. You're seeing more and more um, confession, um, I may or may not have created a TikTok account. May or may not have. Uh, and I may or may not have posted anything. I definitely haven't posted anything on TikTok. And I got on there because I just wanted to be an anthropologist and, and see what's happening <laughs> in the world around me. And it's pretty sad what's happening uh, in places like that. Um, but you'll see all these videos, and I'm sure there's other coming in other social media forms of just people losing their minds and raging. Uh, I think they call them Karens. Um, there's a lot of Karens out there that are losing their minds in grocery stores. But all that being said, we're under a lot of pressure. And even when you think of, you know, if it's memed, that means it's somehow being accepted. So even when you think of the memes of, hey, drinking usually for people started at 5 o'clock, now it starts at 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock. And the truth of the matter is it probably happens a lot more often than what they want to admit. There's just a lot of things happening. And I think this passage gives us some things to consider that could help with that in times that are like a pressure cooker, in times like now where we feel overwhelmed and how do we make good decisions in hard times. And that's how Peter, or the writer for First Peter at least, is trying to end this letter. How do you make good decisions in hard times? Where does it start? What, how, how does it work? What are the elements you need to it? I can't tell you the exact decision to make, but I can give you some elements to look for and consider so you can make a better decision. So here's three or four things, observations, I think, from this passage. The, the first thing is when he states, he says, humble yourselves. I'll read it here. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. When we talk about humility, we're not talking about thinking about ourselves less. Sometimes those, that's not helpful. Um, there's almost a, um, a, a veneration that happens within the church that you just need to make yourself so, so low. And that's what humility is. But that's not good, healthy humility. Humility is becoming right-sized. That's what I would say humility is. Uh, we've used this line before, you're not big, but you're a big deal. Said differently, you're not God, but you're made in God's image. Said another way, you don't have all, but you have some. It's important that we can have a good, healthy view of our humanity, but also that it's right-sized. That there are things we can and, and can't handle. And when I don't have a right-sized view of me, um, what I'll do is I'll take on more than what I really need to and what I can handle. Um, there's a, a really simple prayer within 12-step community. You've heard it before, I'm sure, the serenity prayer. 
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, that prayer is trying to give this idea, and that is, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, everything else outside of me, the courage to change the things I can, things within me, and the wisdom to know the difference. A lot of times I get that flipped. I think I can change circumstances around me, and, that'll, and then because I can't change things inside of me, that'll at least help me if I can change my external circumstances. But that's what takes us out of a path of humility, out of a path of being right-sized. The truth of the matter is, there's very little we can do about what's happening in the world around us. And if I don't have a right-sized view, I will try to take on more. I will try to be more controlling. When that doesn't work, I will become rage-filled. I'll, I'll, I'll make it on TikTok as a Karen or whoever, right? That, okay, here's a person that can't deal with the world around them, and they're trying their best to control it. So, Peter, the writer of Peter, is saying, humble yourselves, be right-sized, and then let God do the work He needs to outside of what you can control, which is only your own actions, only your own, well, what we'll see next, anxiety, the next thing He gives he talks about. He says, in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, anxiety, and we've talked about this as a church many times before, but anxiety is what happens when I don't know how to talk about what scares me. When I don't know how to deal with the fear around me or within me about things around me, I will do things, I will become hypervigilant to try to control that stuff as much as possible. I will give more shaming comments to my spouse or my kids or my friends. Um, I'll even try to um, get worked up and like at a grocery store and, you know, like, hey, I'm going to, uh, well, I can't, I don't have an example about that. I try to, I try to not go to the grocery store as much as possible. But my point is, like, I will, I will get worked up. Road rage for me can be a really easy thing. Now, I've been driving as much, but I do notice it. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this is a vehicle. I can, I can control this one or two tons, however much a vehicle weighs. I can control this, maneuver it, and if I need to cut somebody off or get back at them, I can do those things. I mean, like, that's just, that's what the anxiety can look like. Or it can be anxiety around doubling down maybe on your kids because they're not learning enough and putting the pressure on. Maybe it's doubling down on your marriage because you're not getting enough connection or intimacy the way you want, whatever it may be. But anxiety is the attempt to now control what we're afraid of. But the truth of the matter is, we can't control those things that scare us so much. And so the first step after, like the way that you know you're living more in a being right-sized, humble state in the midst of hard times when you feel the pressure's on, the first step is always letting go of anxiety. And the way we let go of anxiety is we recognize we want to control a lot of things around us. And we recognize that we're scared. We're scared of what's happening outside our four walls. There's a lot of us here that have lost jobs. Um, a lot of us here maybe that have, we're seeing relationships become more and more frail. And what we want to do is become hypervigilant and control it. But what the writer here is telling us is, hey, this anxiety, this thing, this need to control, which takes you out of the present, you're going to have to give that to God. So, 
humble ourselves, give God our anxiety. The second thing I found interesting, or the third thing, sorry, is verse 8. Be alert and sober-minded. Um, you know, when we think of sober or sober-minded, for the most part, we probably think of 12-step recovery, people who have done therapy, all those kinds of things. And, and we don't shy away from that at all as a church. We, we, we believe those things are, are definitely important. Um, and the reason why is um, when we're not sober or sober-minded, it takes us away from being present, which means it takes us away from making good, healthy, responsible decisions. Um, I guess it's kind of becoming a TikTok-themed morning, and I really let the cat out of the bag with this. So here's the thing. Here's what I've noticed on TikTok. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent doing this, but here's what I've noticed. Um, there's just a lot of memes about drinking, like a lot. Now, I want to be really clear. I am good with it. <laughs> like, I'm good with drinking and, and whatever else this isn't. Trust me, that's, that's not me at all. What, what scares me, because I have to watch this with myself, with anything, is what am I using to get away from my life? because my life is too much and it's too scary, what I'm seeing and facing. And the way that I know that I'm hooked on something that I'm using to get away from my life is when I can't lay that thing down because it's become so much. Now, I'm, I'm going to quit picking on drinking. I'm going to go to food. We can go to buying, shopping. Retail therapy is real, right? Um, there's all kinds of things we use, and basically what it all boils down to is fantasy. And fantasy is about wanting to get away from my life. Um, one of the things that you're hearing whispers of more and more within the, the counseling and psychiatry community is how much people's addictions are just shooting up right now. That there is, there is, um, there are more people, whether becoming shopaholics, alcoholics, addicts with food, um, with sensuality and sex, whatever it may be, you're just seeing all those things shoot up. And it makes sense because people are under pressure and they, they don't know how to deal with the things inside of them and they don't have ways and healthy outlets to let that out. And what's interesting is how the writer then connects to this. If we're not sober-minded, he connects it to your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Which, it reminded me then of a verse in Genesis 4-7. Cain and Abel, Cain is, doesn't like what Abel's doing. And he is letting his jealousy, his rage, all these things build up in him. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Like it's waiting for you. Now, I'm, I'm, not, this, I'm, I'm not interested in defining what the devil is or the accuser or this isn't even a, trying to be a message around sin. And um, I believe that there are forces at work that want humans to not thrive. And I believe there's forces inside of us that can keep us from not wanting to thrive. And regardless of where someone's going to try to define those things or land, here's what I, here's what I want to communicate. Um, we are more susceptible to the worst things in life when we're not sober-minded, when we're not sober, when we're not in the moment. 
like life unravels more to greater extents. And that's where sin comes in. Sin being the things that are destroying our humanity and our relationship with God. And so as we as humans today are living in this pandemic, and just as the early church was living in their own even greater, worse pressure cooker, that if we're not careful, we will live in a vacuum and, and, and make bad and then increasingly worse decisions um, just because we're trying to manage things, manage what we're afraid of, manage what we have a lot of shame around, whatever it may be. And so there's an encouragement I have with this. Um, what would it look like, I just want to stop here and bring encouragement, what would it look like for, um, for you, for me, for us, to be sober-minded during this time? Because the truth of the matter is, this pressure cooker isn't ending anytime soon. Like there's a lot of things that we are, um, that we're going to keep struggling with. And there are some things that are worse than other things uh, to use, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, food is, is, can be less in the immediate harmful than maybe alcohol uh, or lust. Um, and so, you know, I, I know a guy who um, found himself drinking a lot of, of, uh, of uh, Coca-Colas throughout the day. And when he tried to scale back on how many he would drink, he found that other things wanted to pop up in him that were worse for him in his life. And so he was like, okay, well, how do I drink enough Coke then <laughs> to help regulate so that I can deal with that? I mean, in some ways, we're trying to survive here. But there's ways in our survival that things can become destructive fast. And the writer here is saying, do whatever you can, that when life presses in and you want to check out, what does it mean for you to lean in and to be as sober-minded as possible, because if not, the enemy comes for us. The destructive forces of this world can get us. And here's the last thing. It says, um, in verse 10, that after you have suffered a little while, Christ himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Whenever we're living in pressure cookers, it's inevitable that we will suffer. And Jamin gave a great word about um, having a, a redemptive understanding of suffering a few weeks ago, and I'd encourage you to go listen to that. And this is kind of like a follow-up in some ways. It's very hard to live in the midst of suffering. Nobody, in general, has a high threshold of pain unless they grew up in a lot of pain um, in, their, in their childhood. For the most part, we want to get out of it and tap out of it. Um, I was... I was, in, I was listening to a podcast with David Kessler. David Kessler worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was a Swiss-American psychologist who um, uh, penned a book in, I think, in 69 about these five different stages of grief. And um, um, I think I wrote them down. Yeah, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance. Yeah, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And, you know supposedly, it isn't supposed to be like a particular order. That These are just five things that we all deal with. I, I know that modern psychology, a lot of people have made it into a particular order, but it, um, from her writings and what he would talk about, that there's just grief 
in dealing with tragedy, there's just, we just know these five things appear in there. And it's a lot. And there is a tragedy at hand. Like, the tragedy being that out of nowhere, everyone's lives had to completely change. And what Kessler, is in his new book um, about finding meaning, what he's, he's trying to communicate is um, that when, when these big moments of grief hit us, it's hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around the fact that, like, oh, I, I am in a state of mourning here. Like, we all together today, we, we woke up in the middle of March this year and all of a sudden had to accept a reality that was overwhelming. And we just tried to tell ourselves, it's going to be a little while, it's going to be a little while. But here we are at the end of May. And, of course, things are opening back up and we're trying to get to phase two and what that looks like. But also there's more spikes of the virus. And there's a good chance things come back in the fall. And that's not me trying to depress anybody. That's just me saying, like, hey, these are really hard, difficult times. And so with that, we we are dealing with a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, and a lot of suffering. And that maybe some of you can relate to, maybe there was denial, maybe there's anger, maybe there's depression, maybe there's bargaining and acceptance. But uh, as I was listening to Kessler talk through this, he was making the point, and I thought it was really, really helpful, that ultimately in our suffering, in these pressure cookers in life, at some point in time, we have to find meaning. We have to find meaning. And you can't, you can't conjure that up or make that happen. You only can wait for it to come. But we have to be willing to look for it and let it be there. Now, I, whenever I'm suffering, one of the last things I ever want to hear somebody tell you me is, God's got a plan, man. Like, God's got a plan. He's going to use this. I'm like, shut up. I, I don't need to hear that. <laughs> like, what, what I need to hear is just your silence and you being with me. And, or you say, I'm sorry. Or, man, that's really sad. But within us, what I'd say is this. During this pressure cooker and this pandemic, and no matter how long it goes on, at some point in time, we need to know from God that He's going to redeem this thing. Like He's going to restore things in our lives. And um, that He's going to help give meaning. He's going to help give meaning to the job you lost or the marriage that's falling apart or the limitations you're experiencing for yourself in whatever capacity. The hit you've taken financially, the wondering and the soul searching you've done and how this has hit you maybe harder than others, whatever it may be, that ultimately what we're asking from is that God gives meaning to these things. What is this about? And sometimes that can be um, meta, right? Like that can be a big thing. Like for example, this isn't across the board for me, and this isn't me trying to get away from the moment, but in many ways, looking at what's happening in the world around us going, it's almost like a cosmic mandatory rest. Like they're talking about in Italy, in the canals in different cities, dolphins and swans reappearing, that there's, there's a rest to the land. Cooper Young has never smelled better where I live than, than right now. Um, there's something about having to rest, and, and that gives some meaning to things. But that doesn't mean it's supposed to take away the pain. It's still painful. And I would say the same for you, whatever your circumstance is. That finding meaning in what's happening isn't trying to take away the pain. It's just trying to say, hey, God is near. God has forgot you. God will restore.
So these areas in the midst of this pressure cooker of what does it mean to be humble, what does it mean to give God our anxieties, what does it mean to be sober-minded, and what does it mean to be able to find meaning in the midst of suffering? I think these are important points that the writer's making to a church and a pressure cooker in hard times. And maybe we can't relate to everything the early church was going through, but we can relate to enough that when this pressure cooker keeps squeezing us and we just want to run to survival tactics, what does it mean for us to lean in and to have more of a thriving reality mentality? So, love you all. Uh, we have two tracks, one for adults and one for kids after this. If you want to explore more what we talked about this morning, and I hope you all have a great rest of the Sunday. Bye.